With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Today we're going to do a teaching called Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Now, why I wanted to go here today and and speak about this is because there's a lot of controversy around these two. You know, you hear all sorts of doctrine, you hear all sorts of things. Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff that people go back into the history of these two. And, you know, many will claim that Jacob was black, Esau was white, blah, blah, blah. You know, one is the Edomites, the others are this people and that people. But, you know, today what we're going to talk about is there's so much more concerning Jacob and Esau than whatever facts people may think that they have. Okay. Um, What we're going to be talking about is Jacob and Esau spiritually, because you know that the spirit is the thing that rules all things. And you know that the spirit, is stronger than the flesh. And you know that when it comes down to identifying things, God never dealt with the flesh. You know, a lot of people talk about Israel's God's people. They are, you know, and they always will be, but there are many that God will bring to him by adoption. Okay. That were Gentiles. All right. But that's not going to be it about, that's not what it's going to be about tonight either, but there's going to be much more significance between these two because many people feel deep down that, you know, race means something. And I hear entire doctrines from groups such as the Hebrew Israelites and all these other groups that, you know, they really believe that their race is something. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care who you are. If you believe that your race matters in the eyes of God, then I'm going to prove to you on so many levels that it doesn't, okay? If you are someone that focuses on race, you're a carnal individual and you're not a spiritual one. I don't care if you call yourself Christian. I don't care if you call yourself an Israelite. I don't care if you call yourself the people of God. If you're someone that can't see past the flesh, then you are a carnal individual. And we're just going to make these points there's going to be so many facts concerning Jacob and Esau. So I think that you guys are going to learn a lot today and really get in and how important this plays out with the New Testament as well. Okay. It's not just an Old Testament doctrine. This has so much significance. So it would do us some good to pay attention to it because Jacob and Esau, you're going to find, you know, can be in us or, you know, it can be in others, but Um, I think that I should just go forward with this teaching and explain it because (laughs) there's going to be so much in it. And if anybody doesn't like that, I'm not going to pick up one race over another. I suggest you turn it off right now. But for those who want to hear, be they Hebrew Israelites, be they Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, atheists, Catholics, 
whomever, you know, I'm going to bring forth some really good points concerning this that you guys may have understanding. Any of the groups that I just named, I'm not for, but I think that they can learn a lot by hearing this because I know when I get into Jacob and Esau, a lot of people are gonna be talking about, yeah, well, the history of this and that. Guys, I've heard all those stories. I know that doctrine. I've battled with all you guys with all the stuff that you talk about. And I'm, you know, some people may call me after this because I won't push up any particular color. They may call me a sellout. And you know, I want to tell them, you're absolutely right. I am sold out for Jesus Christ, not for any particular race, not for any particular people, but the people of God and that souls that don't know Jesus may get saved. So I want to get right into this lesson. Let's go to Genesis 25. And I want to begin, uh, let's see. I want to begin in verse 12, okay? So this is Genesis 25 and verse 12. It says, now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bear unto Abraham. And there are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations, the firstborn of Ishmael, uh, Nabahoth and Kedar and Adbil and uh, Mibsam, and Mibsam and Dama and Masa. Okay, I wanna go a little further down than this. Let's look at verse 16. It says, these are the sons of Ishmael and these are their names by the towns and by their castles, 12 princes according to their nations. And uh, no, I actually wanna go down a little further than that. I'm sorry, guys. Let's look at verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac. Abraham's son, Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, and Padanaram, uh, the sister of Laban, uh, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So, okay, so what we're looking at here is Isaac, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, couldn't conceive. So what he's speaking about here is that Rebekah, you know, he's praying to the Lord about his wife to see what happens concerning this. So if you look at verse 22, and it's, and she conceived, she got pregnant. This is verse 22. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, so when you look at this situation, I've already heard all the doctrine. I heard that one was black here, the other one's white. They're two different races of people. Even if this is true, we're gonna find out there's a lot more to Jacob and Esau than just this. Now let's break down verse 23 and what God told Rebekah about her seeds. The Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people. So they weren't just two nations or two different nations. They are also two different types, okay? Two different kinds of people. Then it says, um, 
and they shall be separated from thy bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other people. Okay, so when you look at this, because I equated this to, you know, um, us bringing forth Christ in the Old Testament, I mean, or in the New Testament on my show the other night, but the point that's being made here is, you know that flesh and spirit never come together. You know that God said that he would put enmity between the woman seed and the serpent seed, and that these two would clash. You also know that with these two people, that um, you know, you see them all the time, where the Bible says that the flesh and spirit are contrary one to the other, that these two would never get along. You see this in Cain and Abel, you see this in Isaac and Ishmael, you see this even at the end of time concerning the mark of the beast and those who have the seal of Christ. You see this all through, even between the law and those who follow the law of the spirit. There's always a clash between these two. And first, I mean, the most important thing of all is we've got to be able to um, bring forth Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ in you is the hope of glory. Paul mentions that he travails with us and birth again until Christ be formed in us. So these two nations that are in the womb can even be spirit and flesh. Yes, this is Jacob and Esau, but you guys are gonna see how much more this is. And then it also mentions that the elder shall serve the younger. Now let's look at our situation. When we were in the world full of sin, it just looked like that the sinful man was you know, the life to be. When we find Jesus Christ, it says the elder will serve the younger. This is also a type of Adam and Jesus Christ. When you look at the very fact that Adam had everything and he came before Jesus came on the earth, that Adam fell away, okay? Adam blew the chances that he had with the Lord. He handed them right over to the devil, okay? So now that you know this, then you understand too that Jesus Christ is known as the second Adam that came to redeem man, okay? Where Adam failed in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which is what the serpent offered Adam, then you know that with Jesus Christ, that he fulfilled and conquered the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in the wilderness. So as you guys see, the elder will serve the younger. When you and I become born again in Christ, the old man must pass away so that the new man can come. John the Baptist says, I must decrease so that Jesus Christ can increase. But if you and I believe that the flesh is just going to let you live, once you find Christ, you better think again. You've got to fight this flesh, you've got to subdue it, you've got to overcome it. So that way the elder shall serve the younger. In the book of Haggai, I believe it's two, it mentions that the former house will be weaker. Um, I mean, the former house will be, um, well, the latter house will be stronger than the former house. So we understand here that there's more to Jacob and Esau than just these two individuals. It says that the elder will serve the younger. I know this is them, but like I said, I'm speaking spiritually tonight to make some key points. And if anyone's stuck on their race, I suggest they get off of it because they can learn something about this tonight, okay? So anyway, he says in verse 24, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over like a hairy garment, 
and they called his name Esau. So, you know, right away people look at Esau and I've heard people bring up these points that this is the white man, white men are hairier than black men and, you know, the color of their skin, they're not exactly white, they're red. And listen, don't pay attention to any of that garbage. I know I'm gonna make a lot of people angry tonight, but I want to make this point. Esau, the Bible describes, was red and all over like a hairy garment. In some ways he was described as a type of beast, okay? Because he was separate. The Bible never describes what Jacob looks like because Jacob, I guess, looked like the other people in the land. This is not equated to race. Even if different races did spring up out of this, I want people to have an understanding of this whole thing. Red, okay, is symbolic for sin. Every time you look in the Bible, the Lord says in Isaiah chapter one, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them white like wool. So we understand with this Esau, Esau was covered in sin. Okay, whatever his nationality is, this is the bottom line. Esau means red and hairy. Look at verse 26. And after that came his brother, and took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. So this even tells us about the nature concerning these two individuals. For one, it speaks of Esau was a cunning hunter. Now you know that cunning, is not a part of the nature of Jesus Christ. The Bible never says anywhere that Jesus was cunning. Cunning is the nature of the serpent, how he beguiled Eve and beguiled Adam. A cunning hunter is kind of like a beast simply because he's hunting down to, to attempt to conquer and to destroy. So that's a part of Esau's nature. He was a cunning hunter in the field, also meaning that he was more lawless or what you would say uncivilized because of the fact that he lived his life and Jacob was just a plain man dwelling in tents. He didn't have a hunter's nature. Okay. So anyway, let's look at verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob and Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. So Esau is weak, Esau is starving, Esau is hungry, Jacob's making food and Esau is ready to eat. Look at verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. So this pottage that Esau wanted to eat, and he's asking Jacob to feed him, this pottage is about, you know, it's got some blood in it. So this will also tell you something about the nature of Esau that, you know, he liked unclean food. Look at verse 31. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? So we understand that they called Jacob the supplanter, the deceiver. Jacob might've been a lot of things, but one thing Jacob did know was that that birthright was important. What would the birthright be equivalent to you and I today? It would be your godly inheritance. It would be the spirit that would lead you and I into eternal life. 
it would be the death, burial, and resurrection, the Christ or the price that Jesus Christ paid that you know we would be able to have what God wants, okay? That we would be able to inherit eternal life. Our lives are predestined. So Jacob wanted the birthright, okay? Because he knew that that was important. And Esau had no respect for his birthright, just said, well, what does it matter lest I die? So when you look at the nature of Esau, Esau was, you know, had no respect for the birthright. Esau's um, God was his belly. And Esau only cared about the here and now. He said, lest I die, what difference does it make? So Esau didn't even have a mindset towards eternal life, but Jacob did. Jacob being the younger was not supposed to have that birthright, but Jacob knew that the birthright was valuable, okay? And he desired it, okay? So he ended up getting it because Esau didn't care for it. So look at verse 33, and Jacob said, swear to me this day, and he swear unto him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. So I want people to understand this because this can even be symbolic for Judas and Jesus Christ. When Judas set out to betray Jesus, he had already betrayed him. And then he sat at the table with him. And Jesus said, the one that dips his hand in the sop, you know, that I dip the sop in and, you know, and I give to, that will be he who betrays me. Even though the disciples didn't understand this, people got to understand what was going on at that point. Jesus was giving, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Judas, his portion. He was giving Judas what Judas wanted. Judas didn't want eternal life. He didn't want to follow Christ. He wanted 30 pieces of silver. So you see, this is symbolic for the type of nature that Esau has. He cares about the here and now and what he can obtain in this life when Jacob was focused on the birthright. So you see, when Jesus gave him the sop, here, Judas, this is your portion. This is what you prefer over me. Here you go. And that's why he says, what thou doest, do quickly. Go and take care of whatever it is you want, because that's what's in your heart. So anyway, he goes on and he says, um, look at verse 34. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. So he didn't even compete for it. He didn't even fight for it. He got up and ate and he just went his way wasn't even worried about the birthright. And then it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. So we understand that, you know, God doesn't like when we don't see the importance of Jesus Christ. We didn't, when we don't see the importance of eternal life and desire to serve Jesus. You see, this is where a lot of people despise their birthright today because they don't even understand the price that was paid okay, for us to be able to have eternal life. You know, there's a lot of Esau walking around today that got the nature of Esau, that got the nature of the beast that is not like God. Esau just ate and went his way, but Jacob wanted that birthright because he knew what it meant, okay? So I just wanted to bring that point forward. We're gonna go into prayer real quick, and then we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for another day, Lord, that wasn't promised to us. We ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities. 
and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have with my brothers and sisters online that you've given me another day, Lord, that we may be partakers of your word, that we may learn. And we just pray that no man's heart be heard today, that no flesh be glorified. But by your spirit, Lord, I pray that all edification be brought. I pray, Lord, that all understanding be taken in. I pray that you open the eyes of those who can't see, the ears of those who can't hear, and the hearts of those who can't understand, that they may have true understanding as to what your word says. So let your strength be upon this lesson. Let your anointing bring forth the truth, for you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Let no enemy distract this, this study tonight, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, every spirit of racism, fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name that you smite the devil, that you keep him at bay, that you trod him underfoot, that these words may be heard. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's move forward. I wanna go right to the next chapter. Let's go to Genesis 26. And I want us to scroll all the way down because I wanna make a key point concerning, um, you know, what uh, this about this Esau and about his nature and having an understanding of who Esau is. Now, you know, as Christians, the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What right has righteousness with unrighteousness and what right has light with darkness and what right has Jesus with Belial? So the Bible tells us to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and God will receive us, right? We will be his sons and daughters by inheritance. Let's skip down to verse 34. And I want you guys to actually look at this. This is Genesis 26 and 34. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Bashimoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. So as you can see, Esau was lawless. They were told not to marry into the Canaanite families, but yet, you know, Esau went his way, married who he wanted to, and you know, Hittites are from the tribes of giants, okay? So this is what Esau mixed his blood with, and this is who Esau wanted to be with, and it was a great grief to his mother and his father because he wasn't supposed to be entangled with them. Am I speaking of race? No, I'm speaking of nature. One thing we know about the giant tribes is they were not supposed to be here. They were the result of uh, fallen angels mixing with human women, okay? And, and because of that, they were able to have their tribes and they were able to do the things that they did that were totally against Israel, okay? But we know that, uh, what's his name? Uriah was a Hittite, he wasn't a giant, but he became, you know, a loyal man of David. So David accepted the Hittite, the Hittite, even though he killed him for his wife. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, this is not a thing of the different tribes. This is also a thing of 
two different types of natures that God doesn't want us to tie into. So this just gives you a little more about the nature of Esau and what he was about, how he just, you know, went ahead and did whatever he wanted. He never uh, respected the law of God. And, you know, there were people that came forth from Egypt, from Esau, you know, called the Edomites. Whoever the Edomites are, I could care less. But the bottom line is that they were fierce enemies of the children of Israel. Okay, so this, who he married, was a result of his lawlessness, and it became a great grief to the children of Israel from that point on. All right, so I just want to bring up another point concerning these two. You know, in Genesis 27, that the prophecies were dealt out, how Jacob would be, would be blessed, how Esau would later be blessed. And then it spoke about how, you know, Jacob is supposed to be the stronger, the elder, which should serve the younger. But there would come a point when that yoke will be broken off of Esau's neck. And what you would end up finding is that the, the older would try and take dominion back over the younger. If we were to compare this to the born again experience that you and I have, you know, the old life, the old man, the way that we used to be, you know, God had to eventually flip that when we became born again, and then we would become the servants of Christ and not the servants of the old nature or the old way of Adam. But you know, if we don't stay up under Christ and, and stay belonging to Jesus and, and walking in the spirit that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, then what can happen to us too is that old man, that old flesh can come back and gain strength. Okay, so that's something that we ought to pay attention to and have an understanding of that Esau eventually did take over and that became the time of the Gentiles when they talked about Nebuchadnezzar and they talked about um, you know Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes and the Caesars and all this and the Persians, you know, they had their time of the Gentiles where they eventually did take over. But at one point, Israel was unbeatable. Israel was above, you know, all the other tribes because of the fact that they had God. But when Israel took their eyes off of God, what ended up happening is the Gentiles began to claim the land and take over Israel, even enslaving them because they did not stay up under God. So you guys see the comparison here? That's what this whole thing is about. Okay, so from here, I wanna go to Obadiah and let's look at verse one. This is Obadiah one and one. And I've heard all the arguments concerning Obadiah, but like I said, we're speaking spiritually tonight so that we can get some more understanding. And pray for me, guys, I'm struggling with a cold right now, you know, so. Yeah, anyway, so this is Obadiah one. Let's look at verse one. It says, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Now, you know that that was Esau. He says, we have heard a rumor from the Lord and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. So Esau, or what you would consider Edom, was greatly despised and made small among the heathen. When he talks about heathen, he's speaking of Gentiles, okay? But they were small among the heathen and they were greatly despised. Why? 
because the Edomites would always go and try and conquer everybody in every land. I know all the arguments people try and make, but like I said, I'm speaking spiritually tonight, okay? This thing is not about race. It's a lot more to it than that. I've seen the devil use whites and use blacks with two different frames of mind. You know, all we need to be focused on is if Jesus Christ can save our white or black soul. But listen in. So it says in verse three, why is uh, why were the Edomites of despised, which were the people of Esau? He says, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? So you can see the very nature of Esau is very similar to the nature of the beast. If you go to Isaiah uh, 1 and look at verse four, uh, 1 and 12, no, Isaiah 12 or 14 and verse 12, it says that the devil made five promises. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of the most high. I will exalt my um, throne above the, um, well, he said, I will have my throne in the sides of the north. I will, um, above the congregation of the sides of the north. And he says, um, I think elevate himself above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But as you can see, the devil, when he was lifted up in pride, he was brought low. The people of Esau, which have the nature of Esau, they had the same mentality. Again, I'm not speaking of race. I'm bringing forward a point here that there are many people in the world, be they white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, have this same mentality when they when they are partakers of false religion, humanism, when they think that they themselves are God. They exalt themselves above God because of their pride. Okay, so they asked, who will bring me down to the ground? Look at verse four, it says, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Why they, I mean, would they not have stolen till they have enough? If the great gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? So there's another thing he spoke about of Esau. Esau's covetousness. Esau wants to dominate everything. He's even talking about grape gatherers would at least leave some grapes. But you see, the nature of the beast is to get all he can from you and take what he can from you so that he can keep you from being like, you know, being righteous. And that's the common denominator about the spirit of Antichrist is he's self-loving and self-serving. You can see this very same thing right here concerning Esau. He says, how are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. So you see, he has the nature of a beast. Look at verse eight. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom? 
and understanding out of the mount of Esau, and thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed uh, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. And I'm gonna show you the very prophecy, guys, concerning this. It's got some to do with Esau, but you'll find out how much more. Look at verse 10, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive, his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was as one of them. So, you know, this is the other thing concerning Esau too, is that Esau was very violent. Esau didn't want to share. I know a lot of the doctrine that these people talk about. They brought up the point where if you go to Genesis 36, it talks about the dukes or the people of Esau that considered themselves dukes. You only find dukes one time in this Bible, and that's in Genesis 36 concerning Esau's nature. You know, isn't it funny today that some of the most elite people in the world consider themselves dukes? So, you know, that that may have some significance because when you look at the dukes of the Bible and you look at the dukes today, they are self-serving, they're violent, they're beast-like, they want to dominate the world and take over. Why? Because not because they're Esau, it's because they've got the nature of the beast like Esau. Okay, so let's have an understanding of this. And it says in verse 12, but thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, yea, uh, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. So I want to speak to black and white here. Understand what the Lord is saying concerning Esau, okay? Esau, his mentality was when Israel did bad, Esau rejoiced. Esau found great joy in conquering Jacob and taking over everything concerning Jacob, okay? Now, we gotta understand, self-righteous people are this way. You know, people that are caught up in false religion are this way. You'll find just evil people in general that are racist are this way. You'll see a white man on the news get punched in the head and robbed, and you'll see black people laughing about it, talking about good, you gotta pay the white man back. You'll find black people enslaved and go through certain things and suffer great things. And there's the white man saying, look at that, look at that so-and-so, you know what, you know, and how he is. Yeah, you see, we gotta keep those people in line. Esau, guys, is a spirit. He is not a race. Esau is the seed of the serpent and that can be black or white or whatever race that's out there. Look at how Esau is rejoicing and what happened to Israel. And God is saying, you shouldn't have been rejoicing. You should have been trying to help. So this is the nature of the beast that we're explaining. So he says in verse 14, neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway 
to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his, of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, and thou hast done it, and thou hast done, uh, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall, they shall swallow down, be as though they had not been. So God is promising that anyone that goes against Israel, anyone that's against God or God's people will be judged for the win. Look at verse 17. But upon Mount holiness, Jacob shall possess their possession, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau a stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. So this is not about race. Esau had no respect for his birthright. Esau did not want to be governed of the Lord. Esau lived the life that he wanted to. And this is the promise to all those who are of the spirit of Esau, be they black or, or white. Look at verse 19. And they of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau, and they of the plain, the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zephyr, or Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is at Sarah, Sepharad, uh, shall possess the cities of the south. And Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So this is no secret. The Bible says he's going to, you know, destroy the earth, get rid of all that are wicked, put the righteous in place to inherit the earth. Okay, so this is what's going to play out concerning those of that Edomite spirit or nature. You're gonna find guys, this thing is not about race. There may have been people that branched out and did what they did concerning their race, but you're gonna find out it's much more than this. All right, so let's go to Malachi chapter one and let's look at verse one, guys. I've got to make these points concerning how God feels. Right. All right, one, let's look at verse one. It says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? So Malachi is saying that even though Esau was Jacob's brother, God loved Jacob. Why? Because Jacob was known as kind of like the bride of God you know, a God's woman, Jacob was obedient. And because of that, you know, um, Esau was lawless and he lived his life. So you see this thing goes all the way down 
to the womb and the serpent seed. If you really look at this, the very fact that Cain and Abel were brothers, but God loved Abel and God tried to plead to Cain, but Cain wanted to be lawless. If you even look at the fact that Jesus Christ is known as the son of man, which he came from the lineage of Adam, but you find some of the lineage of Adam being saved and others refused. This is even when fathers would turn on one another, siblings would turn on one another. There would come a time where the people of God would be, you know, um, your, your man's foes will be they of his own household, that this, this serpent seed and the seed of the woman would clash. So even though Jacob and Esau were brothers, you see how fine this thing cuts. There are few who will want Christ and believe in his doctrine and serve him. And then there are others that will have no desire to serve Jesus Christ at all, making them what? The serpent seed. Okay, so anyways, he says, um, yeah, look at verse three. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom said, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, well, I will throw down and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord have indignation forever. Why? Because there's gonna come a point that you know that God is gonna turn on the people that are not of him at the end of time and their portion will be the lake of fire. The Bible even says that aside from Jesus Christ, you and I can do absolutely nothing. But you see, Esau wanted to build up his own thing and have his own life. And the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, you and I labor in vain. Okay, so though Esau is gonna try and build up what he thinks he has, it's gonna be thrown down. Why? Because it won't be eternal. Esau is someone not destined for eternal life. Only Jacob is because Jacob is of the obedient seed. Now, you know that Jews and Gentiles don't matter before God, but it's the very nature and mindset that God is against. Okay, so this is not about race. This is about a particular spirit and nature that wanders in man today. Verse five says, and your eyes shall see, and ye shall say the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? Unto you, O priest, that despise my name, and ye say, wherein ye have despised thy name. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, wherein have, was, have we polluted thee? that ye say the table of the Lord is contemptible. So as you can see, these are people that, we did a teaching one time on strange fire, but these are people that even refuse to serve God the way that he calls them to serve him, that they choose to go outside of this and they want to live their lives and do their own things. Some people wanna offer God Christmas. Some people wanna offer God Baal worship and all this other stuff. These things are not of the nature of God. They are of the nature of Esau. Okay, so let's look at, uh, that's why he mentioned that they would give polluted bread. Their offerings would be corrupted because they would not be of the nature or of the pure heart of what you would consider, you know, a Christian or a saint. Let's look at verse eight. 
And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is he? I mean, who is there uh, even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire for mine altar for, uh, for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. So you see how in order to follow God and to do what the Lord says, you've got to be a righteous seed. You've got to come in a pure heart. You can't be full of corruption and want God to accept you if you won't repent and change from your ways. This is what he's speaking of concerning Esau. Look at verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, uh, of the same, uh, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye, they, but ye have profaned it, in that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. So you see, this even goes down to people that want to live their lives aside from God and people that want to, you know, find fault with God. You hear these arguments all the time, guys. How can God, who is supposed to be a loving God, have so much evil in the world? Oh, you know what? I believe the Bible was corrupted. And I believe all these things about God. How do we know that God is, is a he? He could be a she, you don't know. This is all the stuff that you hear concerning trying to pollute or profane the name of God. The very fact that people wanna compare Esau to black and white, okay, Esau and Jacob to black and white, says a lot about your nature because you're a racist, but you're trying to represent God. You can't represent God in that kind of heart, okay? So I just wanna make this point. That's why he says, but ye have profaned it, uh, and, and that ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat is contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what is what a weariness it, I mean, is it? And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye have brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? Now you remember when God was receiving offerings in the Old Testament, the thing was is that they had to be without spot or blemish. These guys are offering, you know, um, bad offerings, those that have been corrupted and they want God to accept it. Look at verse 14, but cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, that voweth this end sacrifice unto the Lord, a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. So you see, though Jacob and Esau were brothers meant no difference to God because God is focused on his spiritual family, not his physical one. 
Now, Jesus is a Jew and will always be a Jew. But the bottom line is Paul says in Romans chapter two, that one is not a Jew inwardly, I mean, or outwardly, but one inwardly. So this thing goes into more than just outward performance or the color of your skin. It's the very nature of your heart that our God is most focused on, okay? So I wanna get past that. I wanna dive right into this. So I wanna go to Romans chapter nine and let's look at verse one. Did you see, guys, this thing is not about race. I know the history. I know that all races had to come from somewhere. But what God is speaking of is a very nature. You never believe how many so-called Jews are not going to be saved at the end. Why? Because they've got wickedness in their heart. This is Romans 9. Let's look at verse 1. They love to use this scripture to prove more points. But let's break this down. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So he's talking about the children of Israel that are according to the flesh. This is what Paul is focusing on right now. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are um, the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came who is over all God blessed forever, amen. Not as though the word of God hath um, taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So he's making clear too, that even though Israel are God's people, Paul's recognizing that there are not people who all claim to be Israel that are. Now I know people try and talk about the Ashkenazi Jews and all this. Paul is saying within whoever Israel is, not everyone is Israel, and we're going to find out why. All right, so anyway, he says in verse 7, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So you see, he's talking about going back to Abraham, and then in Isaac shall the seed be called, because what came out of Isaac? Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the father of the Israelites. Esau is the father of another people. So then it says in verse eight, that is they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So the children of promise are counted for the seed. Verse nine says, but this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. So you remember one was the child of promise, which was Isaac, but then you had Ishmael. Hey bro, rock T, you know, Isaac was the one of the promise, but you know, Ishmael was according to the flesh. Why? Because Sarah and Abraham lost faith. So they wanted Hagar to give uh, Abraham a child. And you see what war sprang up with that. That also speaks of a type of lawlessness that you see in many cases 
concerning, um, you know, uh, people that don't want to follow God. Okay, so anyway, he says in verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So this is clearly speaking of God working on uh, Israel, you know, and, and saying that even before these kids were born, God had predestined both of them. Now, some people would ask the question, did God choose Esau to be lawless? I don't believe that's the case. I believe Esau was lawless because Esau was lawless. Just how Jesus knew that Judas was the son of perdition, but he also gave Judas a chance to be like him. But Judas chose another way. So you see the very fact that Judas rebelled against Christ had nothing to do with Jesus. It was more to do with what was in Judas's heart. The same thing concerning Jacob and Esau here, that the difference is, is that Jacob wanted that birthright and Esau had no respect for it. God's not controlling that. God is showing you the two natures that are here. And because of the natures that they have, they ended up in the fate that they did. God knew that Jacob would want the uh, birthright. And God also knew that Esau would despise the birthright. But nevertheless, the birthright was Esau's by, um, by inheritance but Esau didn't have respect for it. So that's what this is about. All right, so anyway, it says um, in verse 11 again, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. So, you know, that was God's plan from the beginning that the elder would serve the younger. God knew the prophecy of Genesis 27, what would play out. God knew the prophecy concerning Judas. God knew the prophecy concerning Cain and Abel. Okay, but the bottom line was God's favor was on Jacob because Jacob um, wanted the birthright. It's not because, you know, he liked Jacob better than Esau. It had more to do with their natures that separated them from the womb. Remember the Bible says that, and the Bible makes clear that they would be two different manner of people. Verse 13 says, and as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God uh, that sheweth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this uh, same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might shew my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore have he mercy on whom he will and uh, have mercy and whom he will, um, ha, um, whom he will, he harden. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? 
for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, when art thou uh, that repliest against God, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? So we must understand that God made Jacob and Esau, but they are two different types of natures. I know people try and use this point to say, well, God hated Esau and God is righteous for doing so. God is righteous no matter what. But what we're seeing play out is who Esau was and who Jacob was and God loved one and he hated the other. God is just like you and I, he has emotions, but he hated the ways of Esau. Now, some people can say, no, he hated Esau. Okay. All these people out there that believe that these are different races, why would God allow those who you consider Edomites or people of the Gentiles or people of other races to be saved? Why is that? If he loved Jacob and hated Esau, which he did because of the way Esau was and the very nature that Esau has that, that travels in many men today, then why is it at the end of time God's going to save some of one race? And, and, and no matter who the people think they are of Israel, why is many of them going to be damned? Ask yourself why that is, because God's looking at the heart. He's not just focused on, you know, whom he's choosing to take down whom. God also knew that Pharaoh's heart would harden because exposure to God shows us all what's in us. All of us can say we're Christians until we're confronted with the word of God. Then when we are, we find out who people really are. I've talked to many of these black Hebrew Israelites that claim to love Jesus and they claim that they are children of the most high God. But when it comes down to it and you ask them, can white people be saved? Or when you ask them, or when you say that God loves everyone and God came to redeem all men unto one blood that they may be under Christ, then you see what really comes out of them, that hardness of heart, because most of those guys are racist. Okay, and you see, this is what the Lord is talking about concerning grace and otherwise. All right, so I want to move on. I want to get to another point to make a point about the nature of God, the nature of Jacob, and the nature of Esau. So let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, and I want to begin at verse 1. I'm sorry, guys, I'm struggling with a cold today. Uh. How embarrassing on live stream, but you know, I'm just trying to battle through. So, anyway, let's go to Galatians 2. Guys, I promise you this is going to make sense. I'm sure I've upset a whole bunch of people because they wanted to hear about diversities and race. That's not the job that I'm on. I'm a sellout for Jesus Christ. So, this is Galatians 2. Let's look at verse 7. It says, but contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the power of the circumcision was unto Peter. So Peter was sent to preach the gospel to whom? The Jews. Who was Paul sent the gospel to? The Gentiles. Then that should be the end of it right there. Why would he go to the Gentiles if the Gentiles were nothing? Look at verse eight. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, which is Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, 
They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So as you can see at this point, the gospel was going to be distributed to all. When they were there at Pentecost, every man heard them speak in their own language. Now, one thing I will say is absolutely true. Peter, James, John, Barnabas, and Paul, they were all Jews, okay? That he says that the Jews were the branches that would bring forth the gospel to the, um, to the Gentiles, okay? That much is true, but that's why there might've been so-called Jews that were there on the day of Pentecost because they were meant to distribute the gospel to other nations, okay? Whoever the Jews are. So your, your arguments are, are moot concerning this because the whole goal of all of this is to preach the gospel. Why? Because the Jews were God's people. It's just that simple. Okay, so he wanted to use them to reach the other nations. Plain and simple, man. People make it harder than it actually is. Look at verse 10. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also uh, was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now let's look at the reason that Peter was to be blamed in this situation for those who want to hold out to race. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So as you can see, they tried to push racism on Peter. And Peter at this point, I wouldn't say he's racist, but you know, he's he's in a weak moment where he knows that he's supposed to be associating with Gentiles, but he feared the Jews and chose not to speak to the Gentiles and then wanted to sit amongst the Jews and not them. Okay, so Paul is coming to get themselves straight, but it says Peter feared those who were the Jews of the circumcision and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him in so much that Barnabas also was carried away by their dissimulation by their separation. But when I saw that they walked, not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now that's a great point by Paul because if Peter is supposed to be the Jews that are supposed to spread the gospel, then how can we ask the Gentiles to be like the Jews who were God's people if they're racist, if they're people that don't even want to walk uprightly in the ways of Christ? Okay, so this is a big point concerning this, about this race thing. So Paul is asking Peter this question. And then he says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So we can't work our way into salvation and we can't go according to race to think that we're gonna get in this thing because Paul says that this is about the hearing of faith. 
not according to the works of the flesh, but in believing in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse 17. But if we, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, and therefore Christ the minister is, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. But if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So if I try and go in my own way and do the things that I want to do, I'm a transgressor before God because it's all about Jesus Christ and following the ways of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. For I through the law am dead to the law uh, that I might live unto God. So as you can see, the law itself was also the enemy of God at this point because Jesus had already brought a new covenant that we are supposed to go under and follow. But you got a lot of people considering those who care about who Jacob and Esau is, they wanna bring people back up under the law to try and prove that they're Israel. And that's not what God is talking about. Look at what he says in verse 20. And I think if we all adopt this and we get an understanding of what God wants, we can end this foolishness and this dissimulation. Paul says, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's Paul interested in? Faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's not interested in race and separation and all this other stuff. Paul's making very clear that we must believe in Jesus Christ and have faith in Christ. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if a righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now you see, this is another thing too, how a lot of people focus on race, that he's making clear that this thing is not about the flesh. I said early on in this teaching, if you're a racist, then really you're someone that's against God. You're carnal. The very fact that you can't see beyond somebody's skin says a lot about who you are. When David and his brothers were, were getting ready to be selected by Samuel, those other men were not, Sam, were not chosen because God didn't choose according to the flesh. God chose according to the heart. God looks at the heart, not your race. Esau is a nature, okay? Jacob is a nature. And I'm gonna bring forward this point that we have an understanding of. There will be those who are gonna believe in Christ and others who are going to be carnal and adopt the ways of the beast because they know not Christ. They think that their race really means something. I'm gonna show you in so many ways it does not. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter five. I wanna make this point. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, and let's look at verse one. This is about Jacob and Esau, but as you're gonna see, there are two different types of natures in play. God hated Esau because of Esau's nature, just like God hates the beast, okay? God um, sent his only son, the Bible says, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. 
okay? And that's whosoever. That's not just one particular people. I mean, that's, that's garbage that people even wanna preach that, that they're concerned about race instead of following Jesus Christ. If it was about race, then that means that Gentiles wouldn't have been saved. That meant that Cornelius the Italian wouldn't have been saved. Okay, so we know that this is not about race. This is 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse one. But we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God in house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So as you can see, if our earthly house, if our earthly house, if we were to die, this body would get corrupt and die and old. We got a spiritual house. So this earthly house is not permanent, okay? So people need to stop looking at it as such. For in this, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that uh, we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us uh, from the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit. Therefore we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So you see, if you're just focused on this body, this body, you know, God made clear that no flesh would glorify in his presence. Paul says that we place no confidence in the flesh. This thing is about God. So as long as we're in the body, we're absent from the Lord. As long as we're in the flesh, we can't be compatible with God in the spirit. And then he says in verse seven, but we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So whether we're present or absent, Paul's goal is, and what he's telling the Corinthians is, that they will be accepted of Christ if they're of him. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he have done, whether it be good or bad. So he's talking about people being judged according to what they have done. He's not judging according to race. He's not judging according to who's a Jew and who's a Gentile, but are they Jews and Gentiles in the heart, in the spirit, or in the flesh? You see, this is what people focus on. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on your behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them with glory in appearance and not in the heart. So there are some people, I want you guys to look at this, there are people that glory according to appearance and not of the heart. So you see, this is, hey, this is big concern in this Jacob and Esau stuff because a lot of people judge according to appearance. 
but what's in the heart? Are you a racist? Are you someone that hates your brother? Are you someone that wants to bring dissimulation? We've already talked about what the Bible says concerning this. This is all about the nature, and I'm going to prove it. Verse 13 says, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, uh, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, uh, and that he died for all that they uh, which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man. Wherefore henceforth know we no man. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. So do you guys understand? I'm sorry, guys, I gotta keep wiping my nose, but I'm not feeling well, but I felt moved by the spirit to get this out. Do you not understand that they might've known Christ after the flesh? A lot of people wanna make the argument, Jesus was black, you know, or he was Middle Eastern because no one in that area should have been European. You know what, that's neither here nor there. He makes clear that we ought to know no man after the flesh, but the heart, and we don't know Jesus anymore after the flesh. You see, because whoever Jesus is now, I guarantee you, he's not gonna look like he did when he was on the earth, okay? But look at what he says. I wanna read this again in verse 16. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. So we don't know Jesus anymore after the flesh. Therefore, if any man, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. So if anyone is in Christ, the old nature's passed away. You're not concerned about race. You're not concerned about status. You're concerned about being spirit to spirit with God. And that's what it truly means to be born again. If you're someone that's focusing on you love Obama because Obama was black, I mean, you're a racist, one, and two, you're carnal. Don't even call yourself a Christian. And if you hate Trump because he's white, or you even love Trump because he's white, you're carnal, you're racist, you're after the flesh. Nothing concerning Jesus Christ, nothing concerning the righteousness. Obama sat there and, you know, was all a part of abortion, okay? And he was a part of homosexual rights, okay? But you call yourself Christians? Man, get out of my face. This is all about being a part of Christ and doing what Jesus Christ says, not knowing any man after the flesh, but after the spirit. And if any man be in Christ, I'll read that again, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. So whatever nature you live, whatever experience you had in history, whether it was Italian History Month, Black History Month, whatever people are into, those things are passed away, okay? And all things are made new. Verse 18, and all things are of God, 
who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So whatever you used to be, the reconciliation is to bring all that which is unrighteous to be made righteous in Christ. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, ye be or be ye reconciled to God. So what's Paul focused on? Being reconciled to God. For he have made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So guys, this thing is not about race. We are gonna get back into Jacob and Esau, but I wanna bring forth points that people have an understanding of what God is looking at. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. No one ask people out there, if you're a racist, are you, is that sin? Is it a sin to be racist? Is it a sin to look at people distinctly and judge them differently, not according to the heart, but according to the flesh? Isn't that racist? Isn't that sin, guys? Why did Peter, why did Paul check Peter? You know, clearly because Peter was in the wrong. Peter was showing dissimulation. This is Hebrews 12, guys. Let's look at verse one. He says, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So Paul is talking about, cause I know he wrote Hebrews that we need to lay aside the weight and the sin thereof and all things that are holding us back. A lot of people are held back by race today. A lot of people are held back by tradition that they won't even adopt the ways of God, okay? But he's saying, man, kick all that stuff aside and run your race with patience knowing Christ. Look at verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of his throne of God. I mean, right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So what should our focus be? What Paul said it should be. All we know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not race, not, not all that other garbage, but focusing on Christ. So he says in verse four, ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, but what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So we must understand that God, you know, is no respecter of persons. God's thing is about 
chastening every son that we may be made right. Okay, look at verse fifth, uh, verse uh, um, eight. Now, some people will look at this and say, wait a minute, this was written to the Hebrews. So this has nothing to do with other races. Yeah, but look at how perfect this is to the Hebrews because the Bible says in Galatians 4, we are Abraham's seed, that we are to be the children of faithful Abraham, which is before the law and before um, you know, Jacob. Okay, this is all about being the children of faith, like faithful Abraham. So as you can see, every promise in Hebrews that was given to Abraham is given to you and I by adoption. Read Galatians 4 in your spare time. This is before the law. This is before the Israelites. These are those who believe God by faith, which Jacob did and Esau did not. Okay, but this is not about race. Hebrews, the word Hebrew comes from the Hebrew word Eber, which was a descendant of Abraham. Abraham wasn't Hebrew. He was not an Israelite. They didn't become Israelites to the place of until Jacob uh, had children and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Okay, so this, this is fitting that this is the book of Hebrews because we are the children of faith, not the children of race. Anyway, uh, verse eight says, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had uh, fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? So you see how this is about the father of spirits. This is about serving God. This is not about all the other funny stuff that people care about in the flesh. So it says in uh, verse 10, for they verily for a few days chasing after us, uh, after their own pleasure, but he uh, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the uh, feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So this is all a part of going through the process of serving God walking in a righteous path concerning God and not letting all these weights, including racism and including all this other mess, hold you back. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are new. All right. So anyway, this is verse uh, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So he says, follow peace with all men because without being holy, we will not see God. So your race doesn't matter here, okay? Oh man, cold is kicking my butt. So he says in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. And a lot of people are doing this. They're preaching a doctrine based on race, not of God, and not doing what God says. And what is it doing? 
It's springing up roots of bitterness and bringing trouble, and many people are defiled by it. I've talked to many Hebrew Israelites that will tell me that, you know, it's really concerned about the black man and the black man's situation because Jesus was black. I don't have any evidence of that, nor do I care. I don't care what race Jesus is. Can he save my black soul? Okay. Any man is my brother in Christ. If he loves Jesus Christ, if he is spirit to spirit with Christ, he is my brother. I'm not concerned about race. Okay. So that's the whole point. It's all about the holiness. But you see, a lot of people are become bitter because they think the gospel has something to do with black people and not people of God. A lot of people believe that the gospel has to do with white people and not concerning the people of God. And I'm just fed up and I'm sick of it. And I'm just trying to make the point. If you are unrighteous, it doesn't matter what your race is. If you're not holy and pure of heart, you will go to hell. Okay. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. So Esau was a fornicator. He married into the Canaanite families and, and it grieved Isaac and uh, Rebekah. You guys will see that earlier if you go back on this teaching. And he was a profane person. What? Because it says, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So he was earthly minded like Cain. He wasn't heavenly minded like Abel and like uh, Jacob. Jacob wanted that birthright because that birthright was a big part of our inheritance. And that's what we need to get in. We need the Holy Ghost. Okay. We need to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. I've been told by some of these Israelites, uh, well, you know, that person ain't your brother. They were known as strangers. But why did they come to that conclusion? Because they're racist. And that's really what this is about. And other racist people that try and say the Israelites were all the European nations in the world. How they came to that conclusion, I have no idea. But I know that it spawned from racism. That's really what this whole thing is about. That shit matter. God knows who the real Israelites are, and he's going to come and get them just as he says. But whether they're Jew or Gentile, they're going to all be up under one blood, one new man under Christ. And that should be our focus. Be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. So Esau sold his birthright for the world. Jesus says, what profit is it in a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What shall he give in exchange for his soul? To want the ways of the world and to not follow after Jesus Christ is, is just like Jesus giving Judas or, or Esau accepting morsels of meat for what he could have had as a full inheritance in the kingdom of God. Praise ye the Lord. Look at verse 17. For ye know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he saw it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, which voice uh, they had heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure 
that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So you see, God is really all about those who are of him, those who want his spirit, those who will follow him. Look at verse 23. To the general assembly and church and the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So this is all about being of Christ. If we choose to leave God or try and offer God anything like strange fire that's not of him, we will be the enemies of God and not those who are drawn to him. I don't have time to read the rest of this because I really want to move on and make some key points. So without further ado, let's go to Colossians 3 and let's look at verse 1. Man, this cold is kicking my butt. Pray for me, guys. Now look at this. This is Colossians 3 and look at verse 1. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the uh, right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So as this speaks, we are to set our affections above. We should be heavenly minded, looking forward to the things that God wants, not on the things on the earth. Okay, because they're only temporal. He says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So if our lives are hid in Christ, none of these other things should matter. None of the desires of the world, none of the pride of life, none of the the pride of race, pride of pace, pride of face, and all these different things. We are to be born again and our lives hid in Christ to serve Christ. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus talk about race? Jesus talked about winning souls. Okay, that's the most important thing. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, uh, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, that's what Esau was about. Uncleanness, that, that was the nature of Esau. Inordinate affection, he went after the Canaanite uh, women and not the women that he was supposed to of Israel. Evil concupiscence and covetousness which is idolatry. Esau, you may as well say, idolized food more than his birthright. Look at verse six. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. What was Esau known as? A child of disobedience. That's why God hated Esau and loved Jacob. Look at verse seven. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. 
So what we must understand about ourselves is we were all Esau at one point. We were all lawless before being born again and finding Jesus Christ. Okay, when Jesus Christ came unto us, the elder began to serve the younger. When we're born again, when we know Christ and we're no longer of the nature of Adam, the, the younger will be stronger than the older. Where Adam failed, Jesus Christ uh, conquered and Jesus Christ overcame. So we are to be of the nature of Christ and not of the nature of Adam. So he says here, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is, uh, re which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, that created him. So Esau was the old man. Jacob is symbolic for the new man, okay? And when you look at that, guys, it makes clear that the old man and his deeds will be put away, but the new man will be changed into the image of Christ, okay? So anyway, it says in verse nine, lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. So you see the new man is not a racist. He's neither Greek nor Jew. All right, what else is he? Neither circumcision or uncircumcision, neither barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. So you see, there will be people in prison that are going to be saved, that are going to be born again, but it's not according to the flesh. It's according to the spirit. So it says Christ is all and in all. So what are we doing looking at race? What are we doing just looking at the history of a people? Everybody's mixed up today. We need Jesus Christ to figure out who's who and who's going where. And I promise you, it will not be according to the flesh. Look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So I don't, I'm speaking to black, I'm speaking to white, I'm speaking to Asian, Hispanic, brown, red, purple, green, turquoise, speckled, and striped. You ought to give your life to Christ. As Christ forgave, you forgive. Stop looking at race and look at the nature of Jacob and Esau. Esau was a lawless beast that despised his birthright. Jesus Christ or Jacob was a follow the Lord, was known as like the woman of God, which is also symbolic for the church of God, that knows no man nor Christ after the flesh, but according to the spirit. So anyway, he says in verse 14, and above all these things put on charity, that word is agape, which is love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called, and in one body, and be ye thankful. 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, singing with grace and your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So this is not about race. All that we do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what this whole thing is supposed to be focused on. Not Black History Month, not the black man's plight, not the white man's journey, okay? Not the white man's uh, system. This is all about being born again and being of Christ and leaving all that mess behind. Are we Jacob or are we Esau? Are we one that is ruled by Christ, that loves Christ, that wants to walk in the spirit, that loves his birthright unto eternal life, his inheritance? Or are we the beast who was lawless, who was a cunning hunter, okay, who despised his birthright? Which one is it? Because that's the only one that God is going to be focused on. So I want to move on. Let's go to Revelation 13 and let's look at verse 11. Oh man, forgive me, guys. I'm trying to whip this cold. Now we're going to bring it to a conclusion. Revelation 11, I mean, Revelation 13, and let's look at verse 11. Look at what he says here, guys. This should sum it up for us all. He says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a, like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. Who is this? This is the false prophet. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So the first beast can even be looked at as the antichrist I personally believe that the Antichrist would be a reincarnated Adam, okay? Because man is who fell before God. Jesus came as the second Adam. But he says that the, the, um, the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, we know that this is also a world system. This can even be considered Rome, where Rome was first up and doing its thing. And then, you know, it looked like the Roman Empire died. And then it was taken over by what they call the Holy Roman Empire, where the Pope became pretty much an emperor. And we're still in the Roman Empire today. But if you look at it, it talks about the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. What you're finding today is not the resurrection or the search for the Antichrist. You're finding the resurrection of Adam, Adam who yields to his wife and he's not, God is not his head. You also find Adam that you know thinks of himself as God, his desire to be his own God, that is lawless, that eats from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and not after Christ. Okay, let me continue, but it says in verse 13, and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast 
that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. I believe the image of the beast will be probably a, a transhumanized version of a man. When you look at man, and we did this teaching a long time ago concerning humanism, but when you look at the Oscars, when people receive their Oscar awards, it is in the same dimensions as Nebuchadnezzar's image that he wanted everybody to bow down to, which is a type of antichrist. What you see concerning this is that this image will be able to speak. So I believe this image will be, you know, probably some form of android or robot that he gave life unto the beast that the beast should speak. Because, you know, it looks like as if this thing shouldn't speak, but it looked, you know, he's going to be able to give life to this thing and everyone has to worship it. When you look at the Oscar awards, people are holding ceremonies to worship the accomplishments of men. And like I said, it's made just like Nebuchadnezzar's image that he wanted people to bow down to. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse of. Uh, all right, the image should both speak and, and, and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth, this is the false prophet, all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. This is the mark of the beast. This is the separation between Jacob and Esau who despised his birthright. So he says in verse 17, that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So the mark is just one part of it. The name of the beast is the banner of the beast. Esau went up under the nature of the beast. Why? Not because of what race he was or what he looked like, but because he was lawless. We must get that down and understand that. He despised his own birthright, just like Judas. He didn't want to follow Christ. Just like Cain, God told Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But Cain went and killed his brother anyway because he didn't like Abel. He wanted to be the one through process of elimination. You look at Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise. Ishmael said to kill him. Sarah had to get rid of them. You're always going to find the nature of the beast will, to, will try and destroy the nature of God. This is why God and Satan are enemies unto this day, because Satan, it wasn't good enough for him to be a, a perfect in wisdom and in beauty and to be a righteous angel to glorify God. He wanted God's throne. This is why the two were struggling in the womb. Are we going to be of the nature of the beast or are we going to be of the nature of Christ? That remains up to you. If you let your flesh and your fleshly thoughts rule your life, then you will give yourself over to the beast and not unto Christ. If you allow your mind to be carnal, he says the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So them that are in the flesh cannot please God, neither could Esau, but Jacob was known as God's woman. So he made clear that they would either have the mark of the beast, which would symbolize their um, allegiance 
And he says, in their right hand or in their forehead, do you think like a beast? Are you a racist? Are you lawless towards God? Do you not want God ruling over you? Because if that's who you are, then you will receive the mark. Those are the thoughts of the beast, okay? And if you are of God, or no, even if you're of a beast, okay, and you still try and do things to talk about your race, you still try and teach a gospel that speaks of race and racism and hatred and dominance over another, those are your works. Do you believe that sin will make it into the kingdom of God? Unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you see the, the head, the forehead means the mind and the hands mean the works. Do you identify with the beast? Do you go up under that banner? Is that the kind of person that you are? And then lastly, he says, or the number of his name. Is that your nature? Man and beast, isn't it funny? They were both born on the sixth day. So was Jacob and so was Esau, born on the same day. And what happened? The struggle occurred between the two of them where, where one they were struggling for dominance. And he says that the elder would serve the younger. So as you can see, this is what we're speaking of here. If you've got the identity of the beast, because Adam fell and became beast-like, but then came Christ to bring righteousness. So you see, it's not just the mark. Do you have the mind of the beast? Do you have the works of the beast? Do you have the nature of the beast, which is the number of his name? Or do you identify with Christ? Look at what he says. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. So the number of the beast is the number of a man. Let's, let's remember this. And his number is 600, three score and six. Now that's man glorified body, soul, and spirit. No spirit of God, the nature of the beast, the spirit of the beast, but never getting to that number seven, which is in the spirit, which is born again in God. That's what we're fighting. And that's what this is about. That's who Esau represents and those who are like Esau and those who Jacob represents, which are like Christ. So let's speak of Jacob. Let's go right next door to Revelation 14. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody must be praying for me because I'm starting to feel better. This is Revelation 14, guys. Look at verse one. Look at the nature of Jacob. And I looked and stood on the Mount Zion and with him in 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Okay, so this, these people have a different mark. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they saw a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and, and the elders. And no man can learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So God's elect were redeemed from the earth, okay? And they were able to sing a new song. Why? Because they were the new creation. Because they were redeemed from the earth, not a part of the earth. 
Look at verse four. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they uh, which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Man, this, this is a beautiful thing how God's going to have his people. If you guys read further down in the scripture, it even talks about how God is going to come back to trample those who were of the beast, those who were against God. And he said that the blood that would be in Israel, because he would throw all unrighteousness into the wine press. Those who are righteous, those who are of Jacob, those who are of the seed of God, he's going to grab his sickle and harvest them and reap them up. He's going to take them out of here before his destruction of the earth. But those who are on the earth, it makes clear that he's going to throw them into a, a wine press and he's going to trample them down. And they said the blood would run 184 miles. And can you believe that that's the same length or the same size as Israel? And it says that the blood will go up to the horse's bridles. So that's how serious God is in destroying Esau and wanting to do away with the nature of Esau. Esau is a spirit. Esau is a nature. It is not concerning race because neither Jew nor Gentile doesn't matter. If you don't serve Christ, you're going to hell. But if you are of Christ, God will redeem you no matter what race you are. Many people have come from the occult, such as John Todd and others that have become informants and desire to serve God. And, and they helped us out a great deal and they died born again. So you see, everybody's the nature of the beast before God comes and allows us to be born again and allow us to serve him. That's what this whole thing is about. This is all about a war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And that's what Jacob and Esau are about. And we better make sure that we are born again and of Christ and put aside the carnality and the world, okay, out of your minds because God is not going to spare one who has the nature of the beast at this time. So I just want to say to people out there, I love you to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, that you can have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've got to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You've got to believe that he died for your sins and he came as the savior for the world, that he is the son of God, and that you have to repent of your sins, re uh, walk away from your wickedness, get baptized, ask God for, your, for his spirit, and walk in the ways of Christ. Be partakers of his word. He will allow you to become a partaker of his nature, and you will be able to inherit eternal life, being washed clean in the blood of Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to pray out and then I'm going to close from there. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you brought understanding today in your word. We pray that our brothers and sisters, no matter what race they are or color, that they might be redeemed. We pray that eyes and ears and hearts will be open, that they may understand, Lord, that you're only focused on one new man, and that is the image of Christ. Those, Lord, who do not want to walk in your ways, who want to be lawless, are the image of the beast. 
And I pray, Lord, through your grace and your mercy that you shine unto the men's hearts that are the hearts of beasts and that you will give them the hearts of men like you did Nebuchadnezzar, that they may see that you are a good God, that you are worthy of praise, that you can elevate them from a beast-like nature unto being holy and sanctified and about you. So we just pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Uh, give your life to Christ today because tomorrow isn't promised to us. So I just want to say I love you all. And until next time, have a good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.